you for your glory and your grace and your mercy. And we thank you, God, that you're watching over us day in and day out. And you're keeping and sustaining us. Now, God, as we prepare to learn your word, Lord God, enlighten in our hearts and our minds by the power of Holy Spirit that we may be able to see what you are saying to us and living according to that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, if you could, could you clap your hands and welcome everybody. For those of you who are watching online, we welcome you. For those still walking in, glad to see you. Um, we're going to get ready to get started. Genesis chapter 28. We have come a long, long way. We have come a very long way. Uh, we are over half the way through the book of Genesis, which is the foundational uh, book of the Bible. Every It is a book of beginnings. And so here we see in Genesis, Jacob has gotten into a little bit of trouble. He's He's been a little sneaky. He's done a few things that he shouldn't have done. He's conspired with his mother. And little does he know that as his mother sends him away, it will be uh, the last time that he sees his mother alive. Um, that her deceit has caused her never, she doesn't know this yet, to see her son again. They're sending their son away uh, to be married, but it will be 20 years before he returns. It'll be 20 years before Jacob gets back. It seemed like a little deception, but uh, isn't it amazing how things have a way of working themselves around? So we start in Genesis chapter 28, uh, starting at verse 1. We may not read all of the verses today. But we're going to read at least the first five here. Uh, guys, if you could read that with me. Ready? Let's read. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise and go to Padamaran, the house of Bethuel, your mother's father. And take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he sent he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. That actually answers the first question, that Jacob travels to Padam Aran. He's going away back into the land of his forefathers. Why is he going there? Because he needs to find a suitable wife, and he does not want to find a Canaanite wife. Uh, some theologians believe that by this time, ma'am? Yeah, it, it is, yeah, it is Rebecca's idea first. She's telling him. It's, it has a double meaning. One is he needs to be married, but two, that he's trying to go away before his brother kills him because he's still there when his father dies. Uh, Esau has decided to remedy the situation his way. Uh, he's decided to kill his brother, so he's running uh, for his life, and they figure just go a little while until everything passes, until everything cools down. They have no idea that this is going to take 20 years because in this 20 years, God is going to break Jacob. He's going to break him before he can bless him. And many of us in our lives, we, we kind of chagrin when we think about the things in life we go through. But sometimes if you're honest with yourself, if you live any amount of years and you look at the aspirations you have, 
and you realize that the blessings God now lets you sit in, had he given those to you when you were 22, or 23, or 24, you probably would have wrecked every blessing you had. Why? Because you wouldn't have been able to handle those things. That although God had the blessings for you, he had a calling on your life, you weren't mature enough to handle those blessings. Jacob, we see, is not ready yet to handle those blessings. And so God is using these events, and he is taking Jacob to a place of crushing. In the South, and I'm giving away a bit of the plot today, but we have a saying. It, it says, it ain't no fun when the rabbit got the jump. What, what, what does that mean? That, that if you ever been rabbit hunting, it wouldn't be funny if the rabbit has the gun and, and he's supposed to be the hunted. Now he's going to be the hunter. Jacob has been deceiving. He has been manipulating and lying to get what he wants. And he's about to get a taste of his own medicine. God's going to use those things to break him. And theologians believe he could have been somewhere around 75 years uh, old at this time. And he has not yet found a bride. And here's the thing. In their culture, who picks the bride? The father. The father picks the bride. So that means Isaac has yet to pick a bride, what? For him. He is neglected to do something um, that he should have done by now because we see that Esau already has two brides, but he didn't follow the right way. He went and got brides for himself. So we see in, in these verses that he's going to go away and he's getting a blessing. And do you see how similar the blessing is that that he gets that was given to Isaac? That the seed, what you're seeing is a transfer of authority. You're seeing a transfer of blessing and anointing that he's blessing him just like he was blessed. And he's sending him away to find a bride. And the sad part is, is that Isaac probably has no idea that part of this plot is just so... Uh, just so Jacob can extend his life a little bit longer and his brother can't get his hands around his neck. He's blessing him and he's sending him away. And so now we see Esau. We talked about last week, and I'm not going to belabor the point, about how Esau kind of reminds us of those people who are really disinterested in God until it's too late when they want the blessings and it's too late. But this is what Esau does. Esau decides that when he sees what's happening and that his father saying, don't marry those Canaanite women. And he's married two Canaanite women. He decides to figure, maybe I should make up with dad and mom. Maybe I should do something to get in their good graces. Pull up Genesis chapter 28, verse 6. Let's read some of that and we'll see what happens. It says, what? Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padamaran to take a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife. Besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebioth. Now, what's the problem with this? That... Who's the son of the promise? Is it Isaac or is it, uh, is it Ishmael or is it his brother? So even in trying to make things right, he's still getting it what? Wrong. He just doesn't get it. He, he, he's trying to do right, but he's just, he's just not doing right. And at this point, it's not just to do right. He still wants some blessing. Bless me, Father. 
do something good for me. Oh, I heard that he's sending Jacob here. So maybe if I do this, maybe I'll curry some of my father's favor. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to add to my polygamy and I'm going to add another wife from another house. And maybe my polygamy will please my family. You see how when God's not the center that your logic seems good to you, but it really keeps getting you on a downward spiral. You keep going, you keep going lower and lower. Have you ever watched the news and you see somebody do something really crazy and you say, how did they get to this place? It's because when God is not your center and your source, your logic is what? Your logic is frayed. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to man, but the end there is what? Death. So how many of us have ever done that? We decided that we knew best and we were going to try to figure out something on our own. And the more we try to fix it, the worse it what? God. We fixed the hole we dug by digging a bigger what? Hole. So we're going to move on now for the sake of time because we got two chapters to cover tonight. And we're going to see where Jacob is because Jacob is not in a good place. He is running for his life. He is on the lamb. And he's about to meet the lamb. We're going to see in a second. But, but he's on the lamb. He's running for his life. Let's go to uh, chapter 28, verse 10. Let's start there. What does it say? And we'll read down a little bit. Let's read. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Now, we're going to stop right there for a second because that answers one of our questions right there. Has anybody used, ever used a stone for a pillow? We generally, when we're ready to use, go to sleep, we try to find the what? Softest thing we can find. Maybe a little bit of firmness. So this shows you that Jacob is in a bad what? Situation. We would say that he's between a rock and a hard place. He's blessed. As my kids would say, that's a dad joke. But he's blessed. He's got a blessing that he can't put his hands on. He's been blessed to get the inheritance from his father. But if he stays to get the inheritance, all he's going to get is his name in the Sunday obituary. So he has to leave. He's fleeing for his life. And he's going and he finds himself between a rock and a hard place. And the question number three says, it was at that moment that God began to speak to him. Why is it that it seems that we hear God at our lowest? Have you ever noticed that? That sometimes it's at your lowest point in life when you find communication with God. There you go. And Elizabeth's words, not mine, she says, I think it's because we actually shut up and listen. See, the thing is, God is always moving. God is always active. But the problem is, many times he's speaking, but we are not what? Listening. We are trying to do things on our own. We're trying to fix things our way. And sometimes, unfortunately, it's only till God takes away something that we hold precious that we will ever stop and listen to God. Be honest. The most times that you pray, when you pray your hardest, is when you're in a situation where prayer is all you have left. It should be the first. But nobody ever prays like they do from when they get a CAT scan from the doctor and it is not what they want. They pray the hardest then. Why? Because you don't have anything but prayer left. Why is it that God has to allow us to break ourselves sometime before we will actually get into a place where he will listen to us? 
that's why sometimes we shouldn't want to run away from the hard situations in life. Sometimes we make beds that we have to lay in, and we shouldn't despise those beds because David said it was good, thank you, Holy Spirit, that I be what? Afflicted. Why did he say it was good that I be afflicted? Because had I not been afflicted, I never would have turned, I would have never learned your laws. In other words, hard times turned me back to you. Now, a lot of times, all we want is goodness, and goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. But sometimes you get in your way, too. And when we get in our way, some of those hard lessons are what actually grow us up. I talk to people all the time about finance, and I can tell them all I want about how to do a budget and how to do this and how to invest and do that. But do you not know that life is the best teacher? I can tell you to live on less than you make, but it's only until you have to stand in the grocery store line and decide, am I going to get this or that? Or you realize that your belly is hungry, then you figure, maybe I should change and adjust my behavior. Sometimes it's in our hardest times that we have to realize maybe what I'm doing is not what? Working. But don't despise those times because if you get in the quiet place, they don't travel at night. People would die at night because on the hills and the highways, that's when the murderers come out. There are no streetlights. So Jacob says, it's time for me to stop. He stops. He puts his head on the pillow. But at this time is the time that when God gets ready to speak to him. I want to speak to somebody who may be in a low place mentally or psychologically right now or spiritually. Don't despise that place, but open your ears to listen. Many times it's at the dark of night when God begins to speak. It was when Abraham went to sleep when he saw the steaming pot and the stove coming through that he that he heard. It was when the prophet, when he says he heard his name and he said, speak your servant. Listen, it wasn't during the day, but it was in the night in the stillness. Sometimes we have a world that's full of activity. We have a world where we can consistently be distracted. Some of you probably heard my phone just go thump right then. That's an attempt for my phone to say, stop what you're doing and take notice of what's going on with me. We have news that's always flashing, breaking news. Everything's breaking news, just here, all those things. And we can easily get so distracted that by the time we wake up, many people, when they wake up, they don't wake up and fall on their knees and thank God. They wake up like this. They roll out of bed to see what's on Facebook or YouTube or TikTok or what this person said or what's there. And after they do that or they get their coffee and they watch the news and get their fill of anger for the day, um, then, then they, they'll go about their day. How many times would it be best if we didn't do that, but we stopped and we made room and quiet time for God? Now, this is forced quiet time for him. He doesn't have a choice, but he's putting his head on a pillow here. And it is at this point that God is going to speak to Jacob. Let's go down a little bit. Uh, I want to start. We're going to go back to verse 10 and read this so we can read it in context. Let's go start at verse 10 again. Let's go right there. Jacob left Beersheba and went to Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. Hmm. Isn't that amazing? That all the when we go back to a few chapters after Genesis 9, people are trying to make a way to get to what? Heaven. A stairway. This time, the stairway to heaven opened on its own. 
And it says what? And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Now, stop right there. Most times we hear it, we say, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of who? But God doesn't announce him as the God of Jacob, which means that you have yet to make me your what? You still trying to do stuff your what? I got a blessing for you, but I got to break you first. I got to get some of this stuff out of you. I am the God of your father. So God is showing Jacob an unseen realm that is involved in the scene. He's letting Jacob know, you think that you're conniving, but I want you to see this stairway of heaven. And it's not the stairway we would think. It would probably be a huge, huge way. I want you to know that although you can't see it, I'm constantly interacting in the affairs of men. That's why it's important for us. They try to diminish prayer, but that's why prayer is so important because while people are trying to diminish prayer, God is always intervening and acting in the affairs of men. Prayer is one of the most essential forces that the believer has. Yeah, you can go out and march for what you want, but they're going to forget that you marched the next day and you're not going to get much media coverage. But if you get on your knees, the Bible says that the effectual and fervent prayers of the righteous, what? Availeth much. God thought so much of prayer that he said, my house, is it not written that my house shall be called a house of what? Prayer. That prayer is the, the, the highest communication that at the altar times, at the end of service, whether you come into the altar or not, should be some of the most intense times in the service. Why? Because that's when you take what's been disseminated to you and you use that and you communicate with what? God. Holy Spirit, you just said something to me through, through the sermon. Heal me. Help me know how to apply this and, and make it applicable to my life. Help me, God. When you come in in the mornings or when you come in in the evenings, prayer should be the most essential thing in the church. But if you really did a schematic of how the church runs across America, guess what we devote the least amount of time to? People pray five minutes and they're ready, ready to go. Now, I'm not indicating that the length of your prayer is is what's important, but I'm talking about the priority of where you place prayer on the spectrum. Is prayer something that's important to you? He is opening up a divine realm for Jacob to be able to see that this is the stairway to heaven. And I thought this was cool because he says Jacob saw angels ascending and descending on it. And I'd heard that language before. Can you remember where that is? Because he's showing Jacob the stairway to what? Heaven. Have you ever heard that phrase ascending and descending? I'm going to throw a curveball to our media team. Go to John chapter 1, um, starting at verse 43. John chapter 1, verse 43, and we're going to go all the way through 50, uh, 51. John chapter 1, verse 43. Let's read it. What does it say? The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Verse 44. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Keep going. Nathanael said to him, 
Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Wow. Now watch this. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe you will see a greater things than these? Now watch this. This is beautiful. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say unto you. Now stop right there. Anytime you hear a word repeated, that means there's an emphasis on this. So he's saying as true as true can be. What did he say to him? You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, wait a minute. When Jacob saw the angels ascending and descending, they were descending on a what? Stairway to heaven. The only way you could get to heaven was up and down the stairway. Somebody going to catch that in a minute. John 14, 6 says, I am the way. The truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And what he is giving is this language for us to see that they're going to be ascending and descending on me. You can't get to heaven by any other way except through Jesus. Behold. You will see heaven open and the angels of God descending and descending on the Son of Man. That is a beautiful thing. That's why we should be excited about pulling people to Jesus because we realize something. That the only way to heaven is through who? Jesus. You see how intertwined and interconnected the Old Testament and the New Testament is, you can't throw the Old Testament away. The Old Testament concealed is the New Testament revealed. They are inextricably linked. They're, they work together. He's showing him this, that I am the what? Way. He is the stairway to heaven. What he is seeing is that word we use, everybody said theophany. It is no man has seen God and lived, but God can reveal himself in ways that mankind can behold his glory without dying, like he did with Moses. I got to let you see my back. That's all I can let you see other than that. That's it for you. No man can see God and live. And that's what he did for Abraham. When you see Abraham, shall I reveal to Abraham what I'm about to do? You see it with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, in the fiery furnace. The third looks like the son of what? God. He looks like, he looks like, like Jesus. He looks like like a spiritual being. And this is another theophany because he's about to drop some heavy truth on to Jacob. He's about, when Jacob's at his lowest, God said, I have you where I want you. Sometimes we, we, we should be careful of messages that are always telling us that God wants us in the highest place. That God wants us in the best place and have, always to have the best. He, he loves us, but sometimes God wants us in the place of brokenness because he can get our attention sometimes. He knows the plans. We quote that scripture all the time without reading the context of it. For I know the what? Plans I have for you. Plans of peace to prosper you 
but we don't back up and read the rest of the, the thing. He said, you basically, I'm going to paraphrase, you're going to be stuck in captivity for 70 years. Don't plan to leave. It's going to be very, you might as well get children and get wives and marry. You're going to be captive. Nothing good is about to happen. I'm not going to let this whooping stop from you. You're going to get this whooping for the next 70 years. But after this 70 years is up, I'm going to bring you back after you've learned your lesson and I've broken you and brought you back down to yourself. Because sometimes we get a little bigger than we need to, don't we? We get a little ahead of ourselves. And sometimes we need to be broken so we can get in that place. But he said, then I'll bring you back to that place for I know the plan that I have for you. I know the plans I have for you, but it's for the you you're becoming. The you you are right now is a little too foolish. So I got to pull some things out of you. I got to pull some attitude and some anger, and, and I got to pull some jealousy, and I got to pull some gossip and some immaturity, and I got to pull some get back and clap back out of you because you can't clap back when I'm trying to take you because it's going to destroy everything I'm doing. You have to learn to let people say stuff and let it roll off of your back like a duck. And in order to do that, I got to let you go through some things where people going to persecute you and say things about you that's going to hurt you and slander your name. Why? Because I'm building up your spiritual muscle because if you can't handle the devils at this level, every level has a different devil. It's not easier the higher you go it's harder the higher you go if you go higher on the hierarchy not that you're more than a person but if God is using you in a greater way you become a greater target for the enemy if you have more influence with more people guess what God is coming for you that's why it's important that every church pray for their pastor why because he has influence over a whole congregation and don't you know Satan is gunning for him because if he can gun and get him he doesn't have to worry about everybody but most churches are spent, I won't say most churches, but many churches spend their time telling the pastor to pray for them instead of them praying for him. So it's important to know that as you go to different levels, you might have to go through some things to build your spiritual muscle. Let's, let's keep going. I love that. I could just stop right there on John 14, 6. I could stop right there, but it's not preaching time yet. Mark, it ain't preaching time. We got we to gotta keep going. It's Wednesday night, so we're going to go on down. That's, that's amazing, though. Uh, as he sees these things coming down, God begins to give him the blessing that he gave to Abraham. In verse 13 and 14, he's telling them that your offspring, verse 14, will, shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and the south. And in you and your offspring and all your families of the earth shall be blessed. In other words, what has been on your father, what has been on your grandfather, that oil is being transferred down to you. Not because you are great, but because I have chosen you to make sure that the promised seed, everybody say promised seed, continues to go forth. That the promised seed is in your loin. That I, I, I might choose somebody else because of some of the stuff you did, but I've got some plans and I'm not going to let your foolishness subvert my plans. So I got to get you in a place where you can be broken and get to where you need to be so I can, I can use you because my son is coming through your loins. Hmm. He said, I am the Lord, the God of, uh, of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. I, this is the first time that Jacob is really having a real encounter with God, and he's somewhere in his 70s or somewhere around that. He's grown, and this is the first time He's having a real encounter with God. Isn't that amazing? 
So we look at verse 13 here. It says that God introduces himself as the God of Abraham and Isaac. It is time for Jacob to know God for himself. I remember when I was young, my grandmother they, and my mother, they used to say, everybody got to know God for themselves. You can't, they, my mama would say, Willie, you, I can't know God for you. You got to know God for yourself. You can't get in based off of mama's blessings. You can't get in based off of daddy's blessings. It's great that they're praying and they're prayer warriors, but you got to know him for yourself. You have to have a personal relationship. The Bible says work out thy own salvation with fear and trembling. Let's look at verse 14 and 15 because this is powerful. He's blessing. Keep in mind, he's blessing the person who just swindled his own brother. Think about that. I wouldn't try that if I were you. I wouldn't try to do my dirt and hope God would bless me anyway. It may not work out so well for you, but it just so happens for Jacob, he's in the plan of God. Let's go. Verse 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Doesn't the scripture say that when we are faithless, he is faithful? Isn't that amazing that God's promises don't depend on you, that we can rest in God? Our salvation doesn't depend on us. It depends on him. Because if it depended on us, none of us would be saved. But he has the strength to bring about every promise that he's ever made. Isn't that amazing? If God's made you a promise and you've heard God speak, you may be in a point where you say, I've wrecked my life. My life is over. I've, I've come to tell you that when God made you the promise, he already knew what you were going to do. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. If he said it, will he not do it? That should be encouraging to somebody who's been beating yourself up and walking in condemnation. You might have to deal with the consequences of your actions. You might have to stay in Haran for 20 years, Jacob. You might have to get swindled by your uncle. You might have to get talked about. You might have to get, get, get the sister that you don't want to get, and we're going to talk about that in a second. You might have to suffer and suffer some of the consequences of your actions, but at the end of the day, God is going to still keep his what? Promise. That's amazing. That was, that was question number seven, that despite his escapades, God promises never to leave Jacob. But we see Jacob still has a little worldliness in him. Um, so we'll see. Let's go to verse 18. Let's go to, uh, rather, let's go to 16. Verse 16, we'll read that together. It says, what? Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? There is none other than that. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Now, he doesn't know theology yet. He doesn't know that God is everywhere all the time. But he's had an encounter with God here. So he said, This is where I met God. I know, I know where I met God. I remember the, the day I got saved, and I remember how I got saved. I remember why I got saved. I remember the first thing the Lord put on my heart. And many of us, we can remember those days. That It's important to sometimes go back to those days because the world can make you cold that you go back and say, I remember how my heart was when God first changed it. That God did something for me and it changed my life. And I won't forget that. And it renews those passions. So verse 18, it says what? So early in the morning, 
Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, listen to how he does it. This is, this is kind of sad. He's still not learning. If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a tenth to you. In other words, he's still trying to bargain. You just saw heaven open and God speak to you in your dream. And rather than saying, you're my God now, you said, if he does this, then I do that. He's still trying to connive and manipulate God. I know he's in an Eastern setting, but doesn't that sound like Western Christianity? Money cometh. Trying to manipulate God. He sounds like a toddler, an immature Christian. Some people tithing and giving above your tithe is great, but some people don't give to bless God. They give to what? Get. If God is good to me, I give. If he blessed me with a good job, I give. In other words, if, if the pastor preaching the sermons I like, I'll come to church. If the praise team sings the songs I like, I'll serve God and come to church. Does that not sound a little bit like Western Christianity sometimes? Not all of it, but a lot of it that I serve God based on what I can get from him. Yeah, I give you the full tenth. I don't know how you give a half a tenth. Yes, I do. People do it all the time. <laughs> they don't tie, they tip. They don't give God. They, I remember a friend one time, and um, they, they were taking an offering. They said, I want everybody to take the offering. I want them to put it in their right hand. And I want them to lift their hand up and lift your offering up. And I was wondering what they were going to do. And they said, I want you to remember that it's in your right hand. So you can remember to give God what's right and not what's left. <laughs> but isn't that our attitude toward God? He's still not where he needs to be. It's going to take 20 years to get some of this stuff out of Jacob because Jacob is still trying to get the edge. He's still a trickster and he's still a conniver. He recognizes God's there, but he still takes that out. Now, Jacob reminds me of a carnal Christian. You still, you still got the Lord in you, but you got a little hood in you too. You still trying to, trying to game a little bit. You know, you got all these things in you or a little trickster into you, whatever the case may be, that God has to pull those things out of him. He's saying to God, you know how crazy you got to be that if you've seen God come up, I, I, angels ascending and descending. If you do this, then I'll do that. Can you ascend and descend and open up the sky in the middle of people's drink? No, you can't. How is it that we say, Lord, when I pay this and do that, do that, whatever I have left, I give to you. If this happens, if, if I, all this come out, I might show up to church on Sunday. So you shouldn't be so hard on Jacob, should you? Because sometimes we are Jacob. We bargain with God. Lord, if you do this, and I know I'm not the only one. Lord, if you do this, I'll do that. If you do this, I'll do that. If you do this, I'll do that. 
And at some point in time, God said, I'm not doing anything else. You're going to do what I told you to do. And that's it. Let us not be like Jacob. Man, we got nine minutes. Praise the Lord. I can, I can finish. I, I, I love that. Y'all tired yet? This, this is some good stuff. Jacob calls that place Bethel. And anytime you see Beth in the Bible, Beth means house. Everybody say house. So when you hear of Bethlehem, it's the house of bread. El means God, like Elijah. My God is God. My God is Yah. My God is Yahweh. Elijah. So if you see El right here, it means, or El Shaddai, the God of. Here, here, and um, here's the deal, that Beth is the house. So he calls that place Bethel or Bethel, the house of God, because he met God there. He puts a stone there for, to commemorate it, and he anoints that stone. He's learning to respect God, but he's still thinking he can manipulate God a little bit. Verse 22, I put in there that Isaac promised a tithe to the Lord. His service and devotional is conditional. Do we do this today? And we kind of answered that question. Now, here's another thing, because people who do not like tithing, and I'm not going to get into the discussion of tithing tonight, the first thing they say is tithing is under the what? Law, right? You've heard that before. How many of us have heard that tithing is under the law? People say that all the time. Um, that that's a, that's an argument. We're under grace. We're under the New Testament. There, that that. But here's the thing: we've seen tithing with Abraham. We've seen it with other people, and now we're seeing it with Jacob. Has the law been given yet? Uh oh. The law's not given to Moses. This is a custom that's been done. Well, I don't see it in the New Testament anywhere. Jesus does say, you tithe of mint and gumum and urim, and this you ought to have done. He doesn't say don't tithe. As a matter of fact, Jesus doesn't lower standards when he comes. He raises standards. I'll give you an example. He says, it's said that you should not commit adultery, but if you look on a woman to lust, you committed adultery. Now, grace is on the way, but did Jesus lower the standard or did he? If you speak with your mouth against your brother and lie on him, that's akin to what? Murder. Just because grace comes, grace didn't lower the standard. Grace what? Raise the standard. So just to say we're not under the law. Let's say that tithing is just for the Levites, some people will say, and things like that, to feed the Levitical priesthood and all that. Let's say that, right? But if that was the minimum for them, and God, the Bible says, he that loves much is given much, that means... That probably should be a floor for us. So the, the question is not how much do I need to give, but or how little can I give, but how much can I give? That when, when we are in a place of grace, we get into a place of generosity. We don't bicker and argue over whether or not to tithe, that hopefully we bless God and want God to bless us in such a way that we can live off of 10% of our income and give 90 and still be good. Very good. Christ is calling us to a higher what? Standard. To whom much is given, much is what? Required. You have received salvation and you don't have to do anything for it. 
so the least you could do is give God your what? All. Not just your best money, because tithing or giving is more money. Your best time, your best volunteering, your best service, your best feeding to the poor, your best to helping the sick, your best to help batter mothers, whatever God's calling you to do. That if I have time, if I have a tenth or a fifteenth of my time, maybe I should devote some of that to the service of the Lord and to the kingdom. Makes sense, doesn't it? Pretty cool. Now we're going to go on to verse 20, chapter 29. I may leave chapter 29 because we've got a lot of stuff in there I want to cover. I'm excited to get to it, but we're gonna, I'm going to let y'all read it, and we're going to go back to that um, um, next week because we're not going to be able to cover it all today. There's some great stuff in this. It, it, we're going to see the trickster getting tricked. <laughs> he, you, you'll see that he got it honest. It wasn't just his mother and him who were a trickster. Apparently... It was his father that was a trickster as well. Well, his, his, his uncle's a trickster as well. And it's some beautiful things in here. You're going to see Jacob kind of beating his chest. I, I'll give you something that, that I thought was phenomenal that, that I, I'll go ahead and, and give a spoiler alert. That Jacob comes to Haran and finds this beautiful woman. And it happens to be at a well where they got a, this big, huge stone that's sitting on top of the deal. It's going to take a couple of people to move, right? And it's going to take a couple people to move the stone. They keep, that keeps animals and critters out of there, keeps the water fresh so they can water the camels. It takes several people to, to do it. And Jacob begins to talk to these people. And all of a sudden, this woman shows up. And the Bible says she's just not any woman. The Bible says she's a looker. It takes, anytime the Bible takes point to mention that, it wants you to pay attention to it. She's not just any woman. The Bible says that she was beautiful in shape and form, which means she was beautiful in the face, and you can figure out the rest. <laughs> yeah, she, 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 she was there. And Jacob is so smitten with this woman that the stone, it usually takes two or three people to pick up. He goes when he sees her and picks it up all by himself. <laughs> That's the kind of woman we're going to see with Rachel. And we'll see how passionate he is about something he wants. And we'll always also see that the Bible says, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also what? Reap. Because while he's after this woman, his brother is having to deal with the fact of how to redo my life and deal with something that I wanted so badly that was taken away from me. Ain't no fun when the rabbit has got the gun. That's where we'll stop tonight. We'll leave a cliffhanger. My daughter said uh, the other day, she said, Daddy, these kind of like cliffhangers. You, you go up to the end, and then we stop. And right when we get to the good part, you stop next week. That's good. That means you'll come back next week, and we'll get, get into the next part. But are there any questions? Are there any comments? This has been a, a phenomenal lesson tonight. I've, I've enjoyed this. And hopefully you've got some nuggets that you can pull away. Any questions? Any comments? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He's got, he's got to break some generational things. I don't necessarily call them generational curses. I tend to call them generational, generational tendencies. When you grow up and your daddy was a cusser and you go up around cussing, what are you more likely to do? Monkey see, monkey do. 
And so if you grow up in a house where people are conniving, it may just end up that you end up what? <laughs> so let that be encouragement. And what I want us to take away with this, I hope it's not 20 years, because our lifespan isn't as long as theirs was, before we finally get all the stuff out of our system that God needs to get out from you. But let that be an encouragement to us that we become humble and become broken before the Lord, before the Lord has to break us himself. So we'll see a few chapters down that Jacob is going to be broken whether he likes it or not. He's going to wrestle. He, the, the name Israel means he who wrestles with God. He's got a fighting spirit. I can understand Jacob a little bit because I'm, I'm one of those people. I was raised in the South. South Southern people have grit. If you ever been to the South or from there, Southern people are fighters. We don't go down without a fight. You don't tell us what to do and how to do it. You that don't. You from the South? You know that that doesn't go in the South. He's got a lot of grit, but no matter how much grit you got, you can't outfight God. I think that's a wonderful place to stop tonight. For those of you who are online, leave some comments, even if it's after. Uh, let us know. We enjoy reading the comments and things like that, or the or even the messages that you send. Um, through Messenger. Uh, if you have any questions, reach out to us. We'll be glad to answer those questions. I'm so grateful for you guys to be here tonight. And I'm going to give you 32 seconds back on your time. How about that? We're going to stop because it's going to take too much to go into chapter 29. But you already know the assignment for next week. So we'll read Genesis chapter what? 29. And you got some of the questions ahead of time. So you'll be able to see that. If you want those questions in your own line, you can just reach out to us at connect, C-O-N-N-E-T-T, at encounter360.org. Let's pray, and we're going to let you guys go. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. I pray, Lord God, that uh, we'll be able to pull some of the principles from this lesson, God, to be able to make them applicable to our lives, and God, that we will live according to those things. Uh, God, that we will um, do the things that you are calling us to do. We uh, we pray special prayer right now for Sister Mabel Evans and for uh, Sister Dorothy Messer and Brother David Nichols and for all those who, who need healing, Lord God. We pray for Gordon Wharf, God, in the name of Jesus, those who need healing in their bodies, for Sister Dara Farr and for those who I have not called, God, in the name of Jesus. We, 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 we give you glory and we give you praise and we ask that you intervene in their life, God, the way that you see fit. And we pray for healing. Uh, and deliverance, and for those who don't know Jesus and the pardon of their sins, I pray, Lord God, that something has been said tonight that will break down that stoniness and the hardness in their heart and bring them closer to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to bless you guys. If